Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Once again, we, we thank you uh, for all the, the many blessings that you have given to us in this country and that you indeed have shed your grace upon us. And for that, we are grateful because if it wasn't for that, uh, we, there wouldn't be any hope. Lord, we thank you for shedding your grace on us as individuals, uh, for, for giving us your Savior, your Son, and our King uh, to bridge that gap in between us and you. We thank you for your word that relays all this truth and so much more, something that we can cling to, something that we can anchor our souls into and be both convicted and comforted at the same time from. We thank you that you are our good shepherd and that you lead us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Any good adventure book or movie will introduce a certain seemingly uh, insignificant or innocuous fact or skill of a character, either somewhat towards the beginning of the story or the middle of it, and then bring it back again at the end to complete the mission or save a character or otherwise bring about a good ending to the story. This is actually, for for those who uh, are, are book nerds, uh, this is a literary device known as Chekhov's gun. It's, it's an actual device that authors will use uh, to implement the, in their story. And at the beginning of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, pirate Captain Jack Sparrow is caught by the British authorities and mocked by the Commodore for his compass. Why? Because it apparently didn't work, right? It, because it didn't point north. It's only referred to in jest, in passing, and then the story moves on. However, that compass, for those of you who've seen it, will prove extremely important later on in the movie, as well as the 22nd movie I think we're up to now, right? We talked a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the fruit of gentleness, that what seems like a random order of the fruits of the Spirit are actually crucial for understanding what each subsequent one really is. Each one builds upon the foundation of the ones before it. In the same way, like with a good adventure story, this last fruit of the Spirit, or self-control, combined with the last statement in verse 23, are not arbitrary, They're not random or without connection with what Paul has already brought up in this letter before. In fact, self-control and the following statement are directly connected with topics Paul has already spent time on and what we've already discussed. And as such, we can only understand them if we know what Paul already talked about in his letter so far. One could take a good book and flip all the way to the end, the last chapter, and find out how it ends. But you would have no idea what was going on. You'd have no idea what the characters were and what led up to that point. But more than that, you would completely miss most of the significance of what happens at the end. A lot of good stories have a lot of symbolism in in them, right? And you would completely miss a lot of these significant things if you just took out the last chapter and read that. You said, I know how the story ends, but you miss everything that led up to that. And really, you miss the whole significance of what the ending is all about. It's the same with isolating these two verses, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We've we've heard them repeated so many times, recited, memorized so many times, just these two verses. But it's the same thing. When you isolate these two verses, 
plucking them out of the letter of Galatians as a whole and, 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 and thinking that you can believe, you can understand what God is, is exactly trying to get across through Paul. We've seen that that's not true, that we've had to understand the whole context of Galatians in order to understand the fruits of the Spirit. In connection with our last fruit this morning, one might turn to Galatians 5.22 through 23, go through all of them and get to the last one and think this is what self-control is. And here it is, and I quote, closing your eyes in the midst of being tempted to do something you know you shouldn't and just saying, don't do it, don't do it, just don't do it, just say no, say no. Not to knock an attempt at trying to keep kids from getting addicted to drugs and alcohol, but what was the slogan of the anti-drug program, D.A.R.E.? I know because I was one of those kids in public school in the 90s having it hammered into my brain. Just say no, right? That's what the slogan of that was. Maybe it was just trying to be catchy, but I don't think using the phrase just say no and the crushing heat of peer pressure is going to do very much. Unfortunately, that's how a lot of us view this fruit of self-control. A lot of us view this fruit of self-control. It's, no wa- it's no wonder why addictions are so powerful. It's no wonder why we're so generally physically unhealthy. We don't have a biblical understanding of what self-control really is. Once we understand what God really means when he had Paul include self-control as the fruit of the Spirit, which he very easily could not have had Paul do, then chains will be broken. And it all connects, connects back with what Paul has already discussed. That's the key to understanding this fruit of the Spirit. That's the key to understanding what self-control really is. That's the key to understanding how your chains can finally be broken. So the first point that we come to as we look through uh, this last part of Galatians 5.23 is its power. The first aspect of self-control is understanding what the word means and where it comes from. Then if we remember, we can directly connect it back to what Paul has already talked about. And through that, be able to get it, be able to understand it, be able to finally have it. The word as described as self-control comes from two Greek words. En and kratos. The word en means in something. So something being and operating within the realm of something else. An example with this word from the Gospel of Matthew would be Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit within his mother Mary. Before his birth at that point, baby Jesus was being and operating, but only inside of his mother's womb. He couldn't do anything outside of his mother's womb at that point. Another example, also from Matthew, is that of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. That's the location. In that way, Jesus was and was born and took his first breath, but all within the location of Bethlehem. He wasn't in two different places at the same time. Like with the inward fruits of joy and peace, self-control is an inward fruit. There's something going on inside of us. 
what is going on inside of us. That requires knowledge of the second word that we have here that makes up self-control, and that's the word kratos. Kratos means dominion or power. Dominion or power. Whose dominion or power? Well, that's the question that Paul has already discussed. Whose dominion or power? Earlier in this chapter, Paul makes these statements in Galatians 5. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Do you remember when we did this? And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. That's the never-ending war. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please or you wish. If you remember when we covered these verses, we talked about how there is always, you might think about it, you might not think about it, but there is always an unseen war going on. And there are only two sides in this war that can be taken. Do you remember that? There can only be two sides in this war that can be taken. If I remember correctly, we talked about this on Super Bowl Sunday. you remember that? Anyone remember the illustration that I use? You might think, oh man, you, you want me to think all the way back to Super Bowl Sunday? That was back at the beginning of February. The illustration I used was that there were two teams that play in the Super Bowl with rules that have already been established and with only one team winning. That's the rule. There's two teams that play and only one team wins. One cannot run onto the field in the middle of the game and yell, this shouldn't be the way that it is. I think there should be a third team that just sits on the sidelines and wins regardless of what the outcome of the game is. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That doesn't make any sense. There is an unseen spiritual power struggle going on every moment of every day. There is a spiritual power struggle going on every moment of every day. There are only two teams in that battle. That of the side of living by the power of the Holy Spirit and that of the side of living according to our own selfishness. You cannot choose a third side that says, I'm going to straddle the fence and win either way. You simply cannot. In the same way, as soon as you choose a side, Exactly because this is a war, and exactly because there are only two sides, as soon as you choose a side, what's going to happen? You automatically become an enemy of the other side. As soon as you choose selfishness, God himself sets himself against your plans. As soon as you choose living by the Spirit, the enemy and forces of darkness stick a target on your back and say, right there. Remember that I said that as soon as you make a decision to live according to the Spirit in a certain area, do not be surprised when those temptations or that oppression get stronger. Do not be surprised. Why? Because you've made an act of war against the other side. I've heard it said by a missionary to Africa who dealt head-on with forces of darkness and spiritual warfare, and she said these words. Christianity 
is not a game. Christianity is not a game. With this topic, truer words have never been said. Following Jesus is not an extracurricular activity. It's not a pickup game. It's not lukewarm, help, uh, a lukewarm, half-committed thing you decide you want or don't want based on how you feel on any given day. What following Jesus means is that you've enlisted in his army. That's what following Jesus means. You've enlisted in his army. And on his side, and anything you do to follow him and obey him is considered an open act of war to the other side. We read in verse 17, The flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh only answers to this world and this world's power and this world's dominion. A life according to the spirit only answers to the leading of the Holy Spirit and how we should live our lives. So when we look at the word self-control with its two root words of within and power and dominion, especially in connection with this battle of the spirit versus our selfish nature, that's how we need to see self-control. Let me explain. Self-control is a fruit, right? We're all in, this, we're all in that together. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. So because of that, can we manufacture self-control through ourselves? No. It has to be given to us. It has to be grown in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So since that's the case, as we're all caught up in this battle, what self-control really is, is not some perceived power coming from us to overcome something. What self-control really is, and if you're taking notes today, write this down. What self-control really is, is surrendering. Surrendering yourself to the side of the Spirit. That's what self-control really is. It's turning aside from our selfishness, which can only answer to this world and can only answer to the prince of darkness of this world, and holding up our hands and white flag to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's crossing the battle line from the side of selfishness and pledging our allegiance to the army of God. That's what self-control is. It's being trained and perhaps retrained by the Holy Spirit to see things and do things God's way. We need to learn new battle plans. It's being equipped with the armor of God. Let's take a look at that list because I want us to see something that you may or may not have seen already when you've read this very famous passage. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. As we read through all of these, are any of these pieces of armor things we create for ourselves? Can you create righteousness? Can you create the gospel of peace? No. You cannot create any of these. They all come from God and they all can only be given by God. 
In connection with this, Paul writes this point blank. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of how strong you think you might be. No, the strength of His might. The word is translated in the English as self-control is very misleading. This is what I want us to see. The word is translated into the English as self-control is very misleading. Because in reality, the control has nothing to do with self. It's not our perceived power to overcome sin that's in the mix. There's only the power of our selfishness and sin, dominion, or the power of the Holy Spirit and His dominion. When we fall into into temptation and sin, we often cry out, I'm not strong enough. Of course you're not strong enough. That's the understatement of the existence of time. We need to get rid of this mind frame that says, I just need to stop. I just need to say no. I just need to get over this. You are not going to. You can't. So stop trying. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. The pastor just told me to stop trying to get over this thing. All any one of us can do in the battle of the spirit versus the flesh, of which there are only two sides and two powers, is to surrender ourselves to one of those powers. Any perceived power from us is not, a, is not part of the equation, is not part of the mix. There are only two powers, and we can only surrender to one of them. Surrendering to the power of selfishness will always lead to destruction, as Paul writes elsewhere. Whereas surrendering to the power of the Spirit will only and always lead to life and peace. You know what the enemy likes to do? He likes to make things more complicated than that. But it's as simple as that. That's what the Word of God says. It doesn't matter what it is. An addiction to lying... Stealing, gossiping, sex, pornography, prescription drugs, illegal drugs, alcohol, carcinogens, destructive relationships, or unhealthy food. It all stems from the same war, and the solution for all of them is the same. It doesn't matter what it is. The solution for all of those is the same. Here's the solution. Firstly, Surrender all of yourself to the power and transformation of the Holy Spirit. As you surrender to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, you know what happens in connection with that? Instead of a self-focus, that is, how well am I doing with this addiction? How badly am I doing with it? How many days have I not slipped back into it? All of those are self-focused. And more often than not, promote more failure than success. Because who are you focused on? Yourself. Instead of being self-focused, what surrendering to the Spirit also means is that you become Spirit-focused. You become God-focused. In other words, instead of focusing on the addiction or the sinful behavior and trying not to do it, be focused on what the Spirit wants you to be doing. 
That's exactly what Paul says a little bit before his teaching on this spiritual war. He says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Instead of focusing on yourself and trying just not to do something, turn your focus outward and focus on cultivating growth and fulfilling the spirit of the law, which is summed up in love God and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, self-control, and this is where we come back to the beginning, self-control is not randomly placed at the end. Like an afterthought. Oh, that's another good one. I'll throw that one at the end. Self-control is placed at the end of this list because it's a culmination of all the preceding fruits. And in this battle against our selfishness, these preceding fruits are what we are to focus on as God gives us the victory over our struggles and our sin. You say... If I'm not supposed to be self-focused and focused on my addiction and my temptations and my sin, what am I supposed to be focused on? The fruits of the Spirit. That's what God wants you to be focused on. Focusing on cultivating the preceding fruits of the Spirit fuels more and more surrender to the power of God, which in turn fuels that self-control and victory over our selfishness and our sin. See, it's a lot easier and a lot better to focus on the positive act of promoting a mind focused on the things of God instead of promoting the the negative act of just trying not to do something. We all know that from being a kid ourselves and raising kids. Reward is always more powerful than punishment, isn't it? Reward is always more powerful than punishment. Above all, Paul says elsewhere for us not to have our minds on ourselves, but on what? He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And where are you right now? On the earth. That's my theme song. As with the other fruits of the Spirit, self-control, or really if you think about it, spirit control, will grow over time. You will not always feel this weak. You will not always feel this week. As God grows more of the overall fruits of the Spirit in you, you will also feel stronger in the fruit of self-control within you. So we talked about the power of self-control, where it comes from, whose power it's supposed to be. Secondly, we're going to talk about its meaning. In keeping with the context of this letter, the fruit of self-control or really spirit control, being last in this list of fruits is not arbitrary either. Just before Paul expounds on the fruits of the Spirit, he lists an inexhaustive list of behaviors that are anti-spirit. Do you remember those? Those are the ones that we shifted uncomfortably in our seats as we went through them. Let us remind ourselves. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Those are the sexual ones. Idolatry, sorcery, those are the spiritual ones. 
enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. That's the breakdown of human relationships. Drunkenness, carousing, being addicted to alcohol and other substances, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, and this is incredibly powerful, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when Paul lists spirit control as the last fruit of the spirit, he is directly connecting this with these anti-spirit behaviors that we're in the middle of this war with. If we have the fruit of spirit control being grown in us, it will be set completely against these behaviors. And we shouldn't want to have any part of us surrendered to these behaviors in accordance with our selfish flesh. This not only explains for us what Paul had in mind as he wrote to these Galatian believers, but you know what else? This explains for us that the fruit of spirit control is infinitely powerful enough to overcome all of these and even more. God is more than powerful enough to break the chains of sinful sexual behavior. He's more than powerful enough to bring you healing from a past that has contributed to pain and promoting sexual sin. He's more than powerful enough to break the power of apathy and ignorance in your life when it comes to reforming how he wants you to see his gift of sex and what his standards are for it. He's more than powerful enough to obliterate the force of sexual and, and pornography addictions. If you surrender it fully, the Holy Spirit will transform and heal you in this area of your life as you focus on cultivating the fruits of the Spirit. What else does it mean? It means that God is more than powerful enough over the forces of the enemy and evil. It means that while we are all embroiled in a war right down in this, follow, in this fallen world, that God will have the ultimate victory. It means that if you continuously choose the side of the Spirit against the side of selfishness in this world, you will never regret it. It means that God will continue to strengthen you, and it means that God and His Word will always be enough. It means that we don't need to go looking for any other form of spirituality because God and His Word are the only powers that have actual authority and actual transformative life. What else does it mean? It means that God can bring you transformation over negativity towards others. Can bring you victory over that negativity causing a heating up of your emotions towards others. Can overcome the destruction you've already made through your anger. And can heal the divides made and human sides taken that have resulted from that original negativity. It means that God is a God of restoration and can and will replace that negativity in your heart with, hey, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. It means that you can surrender what you have in your mind as to what you want to say to someone else. And God can diffuse that and take the power that it has away. It means that if you care enough, God will create in you an overwhelming desire for unity and restoration. 
What else does it mean? It means that along with any other substance that, have, that can have control over you, God is more than powerful enough to free you from that alcohol addiction. It means that as you focus on how he wants you to honor him and love others, that power is broken and it has no control over you. It means that it's the spirit that has control over you. It means that God will bring the healing to a wound that is often the cause of alcoholism. It means that God will cause you to see and hold him, your church, your family, and your witness for him as more important and desirable than what temporary peace alcohol can give to you. It means that God will grow in you the truth that only he can give you the peace as a fruit of the spirit that you so desperately crave. Just as as we went over this list of anti-spirit behaviors, we talked about how it certainly wasn't exhaustive, didn't we? How far the fruit of spirit control can reach and transform is also inexhaustive. It also knows no limit. In the same way, this whole list of fruits of the Spirit is not exhaustive. They are simply examples of what it means to be living according to the Spirit's power and authority over your life. And that's what brings us to our last phrase here. We talked about spirit control, its power, its meaning, and lastly we're going to talk about its context. The last phrase of this list. We read at the end of this inexhaustive list this phrase, against such things there is no law. Right? That's what we read. This phrase goes hand in hand with what we've been discussing in connection with self-control or or spirit control. True self-control is really spirit control because you're not focused on just trying not to do something and you're not focused on yourself. You're focused on the fruits that God is growing in you and cultivating those. You're you're focusing on the Spirit. In the exact same way, does anyone remember the original purpose and context of this letter that Paul is writing to Galatian believers in Jesus in the first place? Do you remember? It's not just one of the books in the New Testament. If you remember the context of this letter to the Galatian believers is for them to not be coerced into following the Jewish law by Jewish believers in Jesus. Part of the reason for that, other than that they were basing their salvation on how well they were following the law and not the grace of God in Jesus, was that they were focused on themselves. Self-focused. They were focused on how well or not well they were following the law. That was one of the problems that Paul was addressing. They were focusing their faith on how well or not well they were following the law. But God didn't want them focused on that. God freed them through the death and resurrection of Jesus to become his children and therefore be made into the righteous likeness of his son. He didn't want them focused on what they could do or not do. He wanted them focused on what he could do and would do in their lives. That's what he wanted them focused on. He wanted them to dwell on the riches of his grace and his love and his transformation and his redemption. Therefore, he had Paul remind them that their faith was not based on what they could do or not do, but that any spiritual growth could only come from him. 
It was only a reaffirmation of what Jesus had already told his disciples that they needed to abide or dwell in him. Jesus told his disciples, abide in me and I in you. Dwell in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it dwells in the vine, so neither can you unless you dwell in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Stop trying to do things on your own. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. The fruits of the Spirit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this. There wasn't no reason for that. My Father is glorified by this because it's Him doing the work in you that you bear much fruits of the Spirit and so prove to be my disciples. After all, isn't this one of the whole purposes of becoming a child of God through the faith and transferred righteousness found in Christ? Bearing fruits that God grows in us. So in other words, God is telling the Galatian believers, and he's reminding us today, if you focus on what spiritual fruits I'm growing in you, and how I'm, I'm the one growing them in you, you won't have any time on focusing on trying to earn your salvation, nor have any time to focus on how much you fail. Focus on me. There's no law against that. The closing phrase to this list of the fruit of the Spirit has been described by one biblical scholar as a literary understatement. In fact, as referenced before, Jesus summed up the entire Jewish law in two commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're focused on that, you won't have any time to focus on not sinning. You won't have any time to focus on your addiction. You won't have any time to focus on how much you fail or how well you're doing at it. You're only focusing on following the two greatest commandments that God has given to us. I hope we've seen and, lear seen and learned a lot about what God is growing in us over the past couple months. Again, it's by no means an exhaustive list of spirit behavior, but it's a good start just as it was meant to be a good start for the Galatians to get back on track for what they needed to be focused on instead of following every single one of the Jewish laws. Perhaps you've seen areas that need a lot of growth. Perhaps you're very well aware of them. That's not to be discouraging. That's meant to be inspiring. Surrender that area to God, repent of your weakness and sin in connection with it, and purposefully ask Him to grow you more in that area. Look for ways to till the soil of your heart to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, and for God to plant the seeds of growth to bear much fruit. Look for opportunities for God to stretch you as He prunes you and He grows you. Never grow apathetic or complacent. Those are not fruits of the Spirit, are they? Apathy and complacency. They're fruits of our selfish flesh. That very side the Spirit is set against. Always seek to grow in every fruit of the Spirit, as well as ones that aren't listed, that go right along with a life whose mind and heart is set on the things of God. 
Above all, never seek to grow just for the sake of growing. Always ask God to grow you in every area in order for you to be a good witness and a better witness for faith in God through Jesus Christ. Don't nobody start checking out now. I know you can tell I'm wrapping up. Don't start to check out now. Always ask God to grow you in every area in order for you to be a good and better witness for faith in God through Jesus Christ. That's wrapped up in the very first fruit in our list, the fruit of love, isn't it? God's law, again, is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, God said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So by that logic, loving God would mean to actively fulfill His great commission, wouldn't it? Heard some murmurs, got a lot of blank stares. Loving God therefore means to fulfill the Great Commission. And when asked, who is my neighbor? And it's funny that David Jeremiah talked about this in our video in Sunday school. No, he and I did not collaborate on that, as hard as it is to believe. When asked the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus used a person of one of the most despised people groups, according to the Jewish people, to illustrate his point of who a neighbor was. It wasn't another Jewish person. It was one of those despised people. So loving your neighbor would be to take God's message of truth, love, forgiveness, restoration, redemption, hope, and peace given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus to anyone and everyone, even those we humanly despise the highest form of love your neighbor as yourself. How did we do sharing that message with someone else this past week? I think it was referred to last week as picking your Nathaniel, sharing the gospel with them. How'd you do? You didn't think I'd remember about that, did you? You didn't think I was going to bring that back up. Growth does not matter if no one sees it and glorifies their, their Father in heaven because of it. Let us be a people who desire growth, but desire it not only for our own good, but for the good of bringing more people into God's kingdom because of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this list of the fruits of the Spirit that we've had the blessing and the privilege of exploring these past couple of months. I pray that you would take the things that we struggle so deeply and profoundly with, that we would surrender them, no strings attached, completely unconditionally to you, waving that white flag, joining your side with this, and letting you take that, cast it into the deepest part of the ocean, and replace it with fruits of the Spirit. We pray that we would not be focused on ourselves. We would not be focused on how much we're failing or how well we're doing with different things, but that we would be spirit-focused, that it would be your power 
in us, growing those fruits, changing us, transforming us, and giving us the boldness to share the message of truth and love of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone we meet. We pray that through that you would bring more people into your kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.